Welcome to Uplifting Women Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Uplifting Women podcast. I'm Holly Tesca, and my sidekick cohort and co-host, Kristen Strunk, is off sunbathing in some warm locale, and I'm very jealous, but she'll be back, um, I hope. (laughs) But today, I am just thrilled to have somebody here with me that I've been crossing my fingers for a long time would do this because I love her dearly. Kamara Ellison, she is the National Director of Strategy and Partnerships for the Kern National Network for Flourishing in Medicine. Kamara fosters long-term engagement with individuals and groups across the healthcare ecosystem and society. She also provides operational leadership for the KNN program while helping to shape strategic plans for expanding the KNN's work and influence. Kamara's three-part leadership philosophy, put people first, seek to understand, and get to yes, supports strong relationships and inspires collaboration. Prior to her national director role, Kamara spent more than 20 years in a variety of other leadership roles, including interim vice president of human resources and faculty affairs at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Her expertise in relationship building and organizational development allowed her to play an integral part in shaping executive recruitment, talent acquisition, and staff and faculty development. Her visionary leadership and acumen have also helped position MCW as a national model for productive, cost-effective integration of faculty affairs and human resources. Kamara was recently recognized with the Distinguished Service Award, MCW's highest honor, reflecting her ability to lead transformative institutional change in the academic medicine setting. Her experiences and skills have earned Kamara national leadership roles with the Association of American Medical Colleges, Group on Faculty Affairs, as an elected member of the National Steering Committee and as the chair of the Program Planning Subcommittee. Additionally, she co-authored a chapter in Closing the Gender Pay Cap in Medicine and has shared strategies and presented nationally on salary equity, career development, personal professional flourishing in the field of medicine. Kamara holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology and a Master of Business Administration, and she's currently pursuing her EDD. Ultimately, she endeavors to influence cultures and relationships through systems change in a way that helps all flourish. 
Kamara, thank you so much for joining me here today. I am thrilled. Oh, thank you, Holly, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So we talked a few weeks ago about what would be a good topic to share with our listeners. And um, in full disclosure, you and I work together um, professionally as I was your coach. Yes. And um, <laughs> I will... I knew the moment I first met you, which was in late January of 2018. I knew immediately that I really liked you and you were so sharp and it was just the beginning of many wonderful things to come. But yeah, it's been a journey and you've made quite a pivot in your career and that's kind of what we decided we would talk about today is the pivot and the courage to make the pivot. So I'm going to let you go back to wherever you want to start this story okay. and, and you start sharing with our listeners. How did you get here? That's a, right. that's a long, impressive bio. Well, I know I was sort of wondering who you were talking about uh, as you're reading through that. It's kind of, it's interesting to just sit for a moment and uh, think back. So thank you for this opportunity. So January of 2018, huh, Holly, I, I was uh, giggling to myself when you got to the MBA portion, because you are the reason that I have my MBA. And I think that's all part of the, you know, this journey of becoming who we are meant to become. And as I was thinking about this opportunity to chat with you today, I was thinking about, you know, how does one prepare for a pivot like I went through? And I'll, I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit. And where does the courage come from to actually lean in to the pivot and to go in a direction that you didn't anticipate um, and might be actually a little afraid to lean into. And one of the things that I think Holly was just comes through so strong for me is, you know, having people like you in, in one's life and allowing, you know, that, that truth to be spoken into. And I think that January, 2018 was really the beginning of my pivot as I look back on it. Because you asked me a lot of really tough questions that I don't know that I was totally prepared to answer. And I wasn't sure that I was going to really enjoy the answers as we were sort of unpacking them, right? And you were asking me a lot of tough things about what I was doing in my career and why was I doing it and why was the institution valuing my contribution? And I think I had sort of one idea of why that was, and you were suggesting some alternate narratives and I think it was as I was exploring those alternate narratives that I started to wonder what else there could be. So as the as you read in my bio, I have worked in the world of academic medicine for over 25 years now, and I have had this incredible luxury of having all of these different you know, leadership positions where I could pick up different uh, tools along the way. I spent the majority of my time in human resources and organizational development and really, you know, built leadership development programs and built um, executive recruitment programs and worked very closely with the dean and the president of the Medical College of Wisconsin on all of their big initiatives that really had to do with culture and the development of people. And so uh, very early on, I realized that I really love to watch people become 
I really love to be part of the process of people, you know, becoming who they were meant to be. And so for me, that word becoming feels like it's a really big part of uh, my journey. Whether it's that one comes from a faith system and I happen to be a woman of faith and so believe that I've been created for meaning and purpose, or whether you lean into sort of the philosophers of old. I mean, even Aristotle talked about flourishing and the good life and what it means to become who we were meant to be and have our impact. I think that's what I've always loved to do. I've always loved to match up talent and strength and potential with need and to build healthy, healthy teams and cultures. I guess you could sort of say that for me, I love to also see the becoming of systems and institutions and how those can be um, really healthy, good places. That's so, so wonderful. You know, I just want to stop you for a moment yeah, because, please. because that's the way I ha- that I saw you, but you could not see that for yourself. You could only see doing it for others. Yes. 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 And that, and that was where that pivot started, right? Was this idea of, you know, and, and obviously a service oriented life, I think is a, a meaningful life, but, you know, I think particularly for us as women leaders and, and I, I am one and have worked with many to which that service component of ourselves, whether it is professionally or personally, overtakes, you know, who we are and who our own sense of self is. And I think that for many years, I really abdicated that sense of who I was to the people and the leaders around me. And it was you and other mentors in my life that really started to speak in and ask me those tough questions like, but who who are you, Kamara? And, and what do you want to do? And what is your contribution? And I'm, I'm sort of like, I, well, what do you mean? What does the institution need me to do, right? And so starting to think through that sense of, in many ways for me, I think the way that I needed to sort of grab onto it, Holly, where I could start looking at myself was my own sense of, of legacy. So if I fast forward a moment and then I'll go back, I now work with advancing flourishing and caring and character in the health ecosystem. And one of the exercises that we do with people to sort of examine your own flourishing is this looking at your best self. And so we'll say, imagine your life five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, wherever you might be on the age spectrum and what that looks like for you. What do you want to be doing? What do you want life to look like? What are the elements? What are the variables? And, and, you know, it's a reflective exercise. And they actually say that you should do this like once a week for like five weeks, right? And the point of it is that as that becomes more poignant for you, you then say, what am I doing today to make sure that that best self that I've just imagined is actually a reality when that time comes, right? Because it doesn't just happen. Like becoming doesn't just happen. That's what I think you were really doing for me in January of 2018, right? Was challenging that sense of like, but but who do you really want to be? And what do you want life to really look like? And so as we all know, if you think January of 18, and you start to move forward to when we started with the global pandemic, um, you will recognize that there was actually very little time, Holly, between when you and I were working 
And when I then found myself as the interim vice president for human resources and the global pandemic hit. And here I am working in this chief people officer role, right? At an academic healthcare system. And it's a, it's a medical pandemic. And there are all of a sudden all sorts of leadership things happening that nobody knows how to deal with, right? Like nobody across the globe knows what to do. What are we doing with our healthcare workers? Should the staff still come in? How am I keeping people safe? Do we have enough personal protective equipment, right? Like none of that. And I can remember, you know, for almost a year straight, it was two, three meetings a day with senior leadership to continue to try to make really good decisions for people. And so interestingly enough, during that time, so much of what you and I had been working on and others in my life had been talking with me about just really kept coming up in me. I was being stretched as a leader in ways that I had never been before. I was needing to show up in ways I had never shown up before. I, I, I like to think that I wasn't the only one on this team, but as the representative for the people and the people policies, you know, I felt like I had, you know, I had 8,000 people that were relying on me every day to use wisdom and discernment to really think about how to best lead us through. And, you know, for me, Holly, one of the most powerful things was um, other leaders, that's who I really got to nurture during this time. Other leaders would say to me, you know, Kamara, we kept showing up every day because you were there. And we knew if Kamara was there, we could be there. And we had hope to keep going. And I thought to myself, Boy, there's nothing more that you'd want as a leader in life, is there, than to know that you were giving people the hope and the inspiration and the resilience and the endurance that they needed. So I'm going through this, this period where, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, very, very selfishly, right? Like, this is amazing. I'm this interim chief people officer. I'm leading through this global pandemic. Certainly, this is the high point of my career, and this is what I'm destined to be. And I can still remember the moment when I was sitting in a conference room and I realized that that wasn't going to be where I was going to, where I was going to best contribute. And there were really two reasons for that, Holly. And I think these are maybe some lessons that I would want to share with everyone. One was, what was my own personal passion and what got me fired up? And I realized that you know, the Medical College of Wisconsin had to put a whole bunch of people on furlough to stay financially viable during this time. I could see the writing on the wall about where we were going to be financially, and I knew what that chief people officer job was going to be for years to come. It was going to be an awful lot of cutting and not a lot of um, ability to really support. And so I had to ask myself if I was going to be leaning in to the strengths and the work that I really love to do. But then secondly, and I'm going to say this as delicately as I can, I didn't necessarily know that there was support for me to be in the role long-term either. And that was something that you had started to unpack for me much earlier. And I think sometimes the question, and I've had the opportunity to share this with many, many, I'm gonna, I think it's true for men and women, but sometimes I think women struggle with it a little bit more. Many young women that I've been mentoring, which is the sense that, you know, the institution isn't always going to have your best interest in mind because the institution most often has the institution's best interest in mind, right? And so, Makes yeah, so I, I had to come to terms with 
my contribution at the level that I was giving the contribution was deeply valued. But that there was a possibility that the level at which I wanted to contribute going into the future wasn't the vision that the people in my institution had for me. And so if I couldn't marry those two things, where was that, where was that going to lead me? And so I, um, I knew in that moment that I didn't want to continue being the chief people officer. But here we are, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I have a team of 65 people in human resources and faculty affairs that are depending on my leadership, as well as a campus that was looking at me as part of a leadership team. And I didn't have another job. So I didn't know where I was gonna go or what I was gonna do. And then someone else in my network, a lot like you, who's been a big supporter and sponsor of me, sent me a job description and said, hey, could you give me some advice? I'm looking for this national director and I could really use some advice on job descriptions. And I thought to myself, of course, I would be happy to help you out with that. And so she sends me this job description and I, I do my edits and I ask her a bunch of questions about it. And I send it back and I say, oh, this sounds so exciting. I'm so excited that you're going to do this. Let me know if you help, need help recruiting for it. And she sends it back to me again and asks me some more questions and I give her some more feedback. And finally, she kind of says to me, do you not understand where I'm going with this? I want you to take this role. And so here's where the pivot begins for me, right? Because while I had already decided that there was probably a mismatch between the recognition of what I could bring to a chief people officer role on the part of my organization and what I thought I would be really happy doing, this was going to take my, my role in a completely different direction. I would be stepping totally out of human resources. I would be leading a movement. I mean, what even is a movement and how do you lead one? I don't know. I'm, I still don't know. I'm two years into it, which is something we could certainly talk about. And so I really had to start to think about it. And, you know, what was interesting, Holly, is that there were things that came up for me that, you know, I didn't expect. Like, I've always been one of those people that was like, it's not about title. It's not about money. It's about opportunity. It's about impact. But when I was going to have to take less money and do something that was uncertain, all of a sudden I found myself afraid. And, you know, I think there are times where we stay in places, or maybe I'll just speak for myself, where I probably stayed in places and convinced myself that I was continuing to grow and get new tools, so it was okay for me to stay. But really, it was just that I was comfortable and I was too afraid to go. And that can be tough self-reflection, right? Especially when you know, I think it's particularly difficult, Holly, when you're getting a lot of accolades, right? Because people are like, oh, you lead this so well. And I was, I was the type that they'd call in to fix anything, right? So call Kamara in, she can build the relationships, she can make that happen. And I'm living off of sort of the applause of others, thinking that I'm growing in my career, when really, I think I might have just been playing it safe. And that was another thing that you really brought out for me in our coaching time. And I didn't like it at all. And I thought you were completely wrong. <laughs> I remember which, that. that which, by the way, I, I always tell people, if you have a coach and you haven't been angry at least four or five times with them, they're probably not doing their job because their job is to unpack that stuff that you don't want to look at and sort of force you to lean into it. So 
so yeah, so you were forcing me to kind of look at those things and then here I was, right? And and so I really angsted for a long time about whether or not I was going to do this. But what I ultimately came down to was, well, I have an option, right? I can stay in a role that people maybe want me in, maybe don't. Maybe value my skill set, maybe don't. Or I can try something totally new for less money. Don't know where it's going to go. Don't know how long it'll last. But the potential is pretty cool. And the potential was to work at the national level across health systems and academic medical centers to see if we could bring flourishing and address the depth of burnout and languishing that we see in the professional medicine. And I remember having this moment with myself and sort of saying, okay, so you can keep doing what you're doing. You work with really cool people or you could like do something with your whole heart and either like flame out royally or look back and go, wow, look what we did. And I decided either one of those options, like flaming out, having tried really hard or hugely leaving an impact would be worth a shot. I was solidly, I am solidly in the second half of my career. And so I knew that this was going to be the time. Because you know what, I was going to get really used to the lifestyle with that chief people officer salary and some of those other things that come along with it. And I was already, I was already playing it safe. When I was in college, I had chose a life motto. There was a speaker that came and said, oh, you should choose a life motto. And I chose the life motto, choose adventure. And the reason that choose adventure has been my life motto is because I'm naturally afraid. And there's a lot of people that see me and see all the speaking I do and the places that I go and they think, oh, there's no way that she's afraid. But I'm always a little afraid. And so I chose Choose Adventure so that when I would come to that fork in the road and I would be afraid and I would not know what to do, I would lean into adventure. And so adventure was taking a position with a grant funded movement that may or may not get more money um, we have, by the way, gotten more money. And so I'm super excited about the work that we're doing. But I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But I chose adventure. And I was scared. And I did it anyway. I couldn't see where it was all going to lead. I still don't know where it's all going to lead. And there's a lot of days I'm still afraid. But I did it anyway. Huge, huge percentage of this could fail. This could fail. And then what do I do? but I wanted to leave an impact and risking it was worth that. I have an incredibly supportive husband uh, and life partner. And so at the same time, in the midst of this, I had an opportunity to pursue my doctorate. And, you know, Holly, we were just talking about this the other day. And I think this goes to like, who's in your circle, right? So I have people like you, I have, I have women friends who are my hugest cheerleaders. You know, I have one friend that every day leaves me a voice message that somewhere in it, she says, hello, you beautiful radiant goddess, right? I mean, people that just make you come alive inside, right? And I have a husband who just said to me the other day, you are our shared mission statement right now. Because he and I have always wanted to impact life together. And I, oh, I'm going to school and I'm traveling all over the place with this movement. And he said, yeah, you're our shared mission. 
you becoming everything you are supposed to become is our shared mission, right? So surrounding yourself with these people, and I don't want to make it sound like everyone's on my corner because I've had lots of people who have thought I made a huge mistake by doing this and lots and lots of opposition. And again, in all transparency, a lot of it from leaders that were going to lose something by me stepping out of the scripts that they had written for me. And so when I wanted to step outside of that script, I wasn't the only one who I think got a little afraid. And um, as I kind of took my own control for my own career back and made my own decisions, it wasn't popular. Still kind of isn't in some circles. So it's not that it's been easy, but I think that ability to like lean into the meaning and purpose and move beyond sort of external validation from others and figure out which are the true voices in my life that I want to listen to um, are important. And so leaning into people like you, knowing my values, knowing my character, knowing who I really wanted to be, that was a big, that was a big thing for me. Wow. Wow. And I hope people don't think this was a big commercial for me because it wasn't. You did all the work. You were really angry with me when you told, when you, you said to me, I'm, I'm considering getting a master's of science in OD. And I almost threw up on your feet. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Why would you not be thinking about getting an MBA? And you, your eyes just kind of twitched. <laughs> and I think you couldn't get me out of your office fast enough that day. That's true. <laughs> and then my boss at the time agreed with you. So I was ticked off at her too. And here's the thing, right? The reason I didn't want to get my MBA is because I didn't think I was smart enough and I didn't think I could do it. And so organizational development was something I'd been doing on my own for so long. So again, right, going back to that theme of, but if I just play it safe, then I, I know I can get that master's degree and be successful. I know I can do that. I don't know that I can make it through an MBA program. I don't know that I'm smart enough to do all of that, right? That is what was driving underneath that. Now, I certainly wasn't admitting that, right? Like I was coming up with all sorts of other defensive behaviors. But, you know, as we grow as people, understanding when those defensive pieces come up in us, right? What is that? And that ability to stop and go, why did I get so irritated when they suggested I go for my MBA instead of the other, right? Something is underneath that. And the something that was underneath that for me was a belief that I couldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm here to say you did it with flying colors. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I did. And then decided to just go on straight away for a doctorate. Why yeah. not? Why not, Why not, right? You're on a roll, sister. You're on Why a not? roll. It's, it's amazing. It is the hardest thing that I've ever done, truly. And one of the best. I, 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 have, I have no regrets. And, you know, interestingly, Holly, there have been a couple of moments in the last couple of years where I've, I've been able to sort of stop and reflect. One was uh, this past fall, I found myself in Lyon, France for my job. And I got invited to be part of a meeting, an international meeting there. And the hotel that I was staying at was about a 20 minute walk from the conference center. 
And so I got to walk through this park that I would, I would liken to sort of the central park of Lyon, France. And it was, it was, it was everything you would imagine at people like picnicking and riding their bikes and there's a lake and there's swans and there's a zoo and there was like people playing live music. I mean, it was, it was everything. I can remember one morning I was walking through and the sun was coming up over this lake and I stopped and I reflected on the fact that I was in France in this beautiful place, having these beautiful experiences. And none of it would have happened if I hadn't had the courage to make the pivot. And I had this just like stark moment, Holly, where I thought, what if I, what if I would have played it safe? What if I would have played it safe? Do you know the amazing people that I met doing my MBA? What if I would have played it safe and never would have met those amazing people? And you know what? I've been curled up in the fetal position about 700 times since starting this doctoral program thinking, how am I ever going to make it through? But the friends I'm making and the things that I'm learning and the people that I'm doing life with, like if I would have played it safe, none of that. And then about three weeks ago, I met a medical school and they asked me to be their plenary speaker. Now, Without going too much into it, a staff person without a doctoral degree asked to be a plenary speaker in front of a bunch of faculty at a medical school is a rather, it's a rather unique moment. It sure is. It sure is. And so I, you know, I, so I was preparing and uh, for the first time, didn't feel like I didn't belong, um, which is a whole nother story uh, line of mine, right? Which I love to tell people like, there was a moment where I was at a faculty meeting and I was sitting in the back because I didn't belong and it had been announced that I'd been elected to this national committee that typically only MDs get elected to, but I was elected to as a staff. And the dean says, I'm sorry Kamara isn't here today because we'd really like to celebrate her because he couldn't see me because I'd like lodged myself so far in the back of the room thinking that I didn't belong. And so I'm like, you know, grab your lunch and sit at the table where you belong, right? Has, has been my theme since I found myself back there. So I went into this plenary really feeling like, okay, this is, this is good. I can be here. I have something to say. And the reality is, is I had gone out to dinner the night before with a number of faculty and they were telling me about what they loved about where they worked and the challenges about their medical school. And it completely flipped the, the script on what I was gonna speak on the next day. In fact, about two minutes before I went up, I still didn't know exactly what I was gonna say because I knew what I had planned and prepared wasn't what they needed to hear. So I got done and the Dean came up to me, the Dean of the medical school came up to me right away and he said, you need to come spend time with my leadership team. I wanna hire you to come down here. I want you to help us figure out how to arrange our leadership team for flourishing. We wanna be a culture that celebrates our people. And you know, Holly, I had the moment where I realized that the reason I was able to do that in that moment, switch up my plenary talk and have it hit the culture the way that people needed to hear it was 25 years of a lot of preparation for the pivots. And so the other thing that I would wanna say is if, if you're someone that finds yourself in a waiting period or a wondering moment of maybe why your pivot hasn't come yet or why other doors haven't opened and you're thinking to yourself, why am I still here doing this? I would like to encourage you that you're probably just being prepared for the pivot. And so, Sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we wish we could get out of and the timing for whatever reason isn't right. And I think if 
if we can think about it as preparation for the pivot and what's to come. Because had I not done everything I had done up to my pivot, this pivot wouldn't be as cool and powerful as it is. So it all happens for a reason. And um, so whether you're about to do the pivot and you need courage to do it, or whether you're in the prep for the pivot, or whether you're like me on the other side of the pivot, and, and I was just saying to someone the other day, Holly, that this is, this is how I feel. The best decision I've ever made but it still isn't easy, right? I'm still afraid. I still don't necessarily know what I'm doing, but I've kind of figured out we all sort of are at some level. And that's why we need each other to be able to point and help um, and guide. And, you know, I'll tell you, as I am getting into my fifties, everything is changing. My body is changing. My mind is changing. My profession is changing. My life is changing. There are days that I feel like I am that caterpillar that has entered the gunk of the chrysalis or the cocoon and is just in the gunk. But I'm reminded that I've been that, that caterpillar in the gunk before. And there is a beautiful butterfly on the other side. So I sort of tell myself now, as I find myself in this place of leading a team and a national movement, that I can't wait to see the butterfly that awaits on the other side. I'll be honest, it's kind of gunky at the moment, but I'm really excited to see that butterfly. And so it's another chapter of my becoming um, even now. And my hope is that, you know, if we were doing this podcast again in 20 years or 25 years, I'd say to you, Holly, I can't wait to see what the next butterfly is, right? I always want to be on this path of continuing to grow and evolve. Um, and become no matter how hard it is. This has been amazing, Kamara. So inspirational. And, you know, having watched you on this journey, and I can attest to our listeners that this was not easy for you at a lot of different junctures. There was a lot of soul searching, a lot of uneasiness, a lot of self doubt. Um, a lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of internal conflict mm -hmm. about, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing for me and my husband? Well, yep. you know, all of that, all of uh, it. but you know what you have made such a tremendous investment in yourself. And I hope we are doing this podcast again in 10 or 15 or 20 yeah. years because I am here to tell you the best is yet to come for you. I can't wait. I know you can't. Thank you so much for joining us today and being an inspiration to our leaders for women out there who are really struggling with finding themselves or having the courage to make that pivot, to make the change, yes. to take the bet on themselves. Yes. You know, bet on yourself. Bet, bet on, on yourself. yourself. Always bet on yourself, always, because you can't lose. My mother used to have a saying, and um, I, I always remember this. She said, if you shoot for the barn door and you miss, you end up in the manure. But if you shoot for the moon and you miss, you still end up in the stars. Woohoo! That was a wise mom you had. I know. So <laughs> um, keep shooting for the moon. The best is yet to come. And thanks again. Thank you, Holly. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. 
Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.